The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can help support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of March. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, and Kirsten Cardinal. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. just reached out to me oh do you know this person i'm trying to find out get in contact with them i'm like well they're dead uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I am related to them what's 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 up mm-hmm. and they're like oh well it, it seemed very scammy you just said i'm related to them and they <laughs> yeah. took and they believed you well actually he first he asked he's like when did she die it was like 2003 he's like yep that checks out <laughs> the government has 15 years wow. to um to do it and they usually wait till the 15 years are up to to start like finding everyone now imagine if you owe the government money and you tell them i'll get back to you in 15 years imagine <laughs> <Right>? that <laughs> doesn't go both ways that's for sure and we're still like we still don't have the money it's like as my uncle george says we're all just gonna get an ice cream cone when it's done <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what's that, gonna add up to hey, but it's not so bad depending on where you're going i love how you pointed out when we were um you listened to the baseball episode there i am completely dyslexic when it comes to reading <laughs> uh uh Arena names and uh, athlete names for sure. What did I call it? Sal- Salico, Salico Field. I don't know, Salico or something. Oh, Safeco. Safeco. That Sefeco. was it. Safeco. Yeah. And I was like, why it's, didn't he just see Safeco? It's <laughs> Safeco Field. I am. I think it's because okay. it just. I I read those things quickly. I'm, I know. It, it's. The thing is, I edited that, and I didn't catch that either. I think it would have made it a lot easier if the C in Safeco was capitalized. It wasn't. Uh, yes, that's fair. That's fair. So Good I point. thought it. Yeah, I, I'm not as uh, ingrained in the sporting community as you are. So when I don't see these names on a regular basis, when you're not reading them or talking about them, it's, it just blurs together. I also Someone's mis- name was Thom. You, you called him Thom instead of just Tom. Oh, was it? Oh, crap. Okay, that was the one. That was the other one that <laughs> yeah, I read wrong. And then well, I was if- like, I, I get, if you're reading it, I get it. You're like reading it Thom. But if you ever saw it, like you're like, that guy's name's Tom, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's like the, uh, <laughs> the debate that we've had around uh, Tom DeLonge versus Tom DeLong. Mm, yes exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's DeLong <laughs> it, it is okay like we, like I think we agreed last time it is DeLong but like it, if it was because he calls himself DeLong but if it was on anyone else's name right it would be DeLonge yeah if, if you were just reading his name on the back of a jersey or whatever you would probably you know think it's DeLonge makes sense it's funny there's like a, there's a hockey player named Zach Parise mm-hmm. and he had this I don't know if he still does it but when he got traded to the Minnesota Wild he was adamant about his pronunciation of his last name is Parisi instead okay. of Parise. Hmm. And I think the commentators went with it for a bit. And then I think I'm pretty sure they've switched back since because that's not how you pronounce that name. No, it, it's, no it's, yeah, it, it's really hard to get people to call you something different once you've been known as something for a long time. You pretty much have to stick with whatever everybody's been calling you since you were a child. Yeah, and also make like when it's when it's something that's just like objectively like that's not yeah. how people say it. <laughs> it's true. Like yeah. uh, there's um, I know for a little bit there's another hockey player, Brad Marchand, uh, who like uh also wants to go by Bar- Marchand, 
And oh. they're like, no, that's not, that's not your name. <laughs> Sorry. That's hilarious. It must suck to be like wanting to call, wanting to be called something and someone telling you, no, that's not, we're not going to do that. No, I'm not. I can't imagine. <laughs> one, one thing that a lot of people disagree on, and I actually had this with my mom the other day, is that because uh, we had Easter a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. Sunday is a, a, a day off if you work in uh, you know, retail uh, it's a day off because regularly on Sundays stores are open, and the way that her her schedule is lined up is that Sunday is the first day of the week for their business, and that yeah. broke my brain knowing yeah. that they like. To me, Monday's the first day of the week. Have you ever talked to anybody who thinks that Sunday is the first day of the week? I can't. Yeah. Yes, Neil. Uh, we, need the, we need to ship those people. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they all live in Europe. Okay, we already did that. Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's a. Uh, uh, really? I mean, not not all Europeans, obviously. Any huh. Europe listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I know um, that it's a relatively common thing to consider Sunday the start of the week that, uh, yeah, that, in places in uh, in Europe, maybe in the UK. I'm not really sure in other places. But it threw me off. Like she was, because my, my mom was like, "Oh yeah, it's only a six day week, so I have one less work day." And I was like, "But." Monday's not a vacation day. She's like, oh no, we start the work week on Sunday. And I was like, that's dumb. That Yeah, it is dumb for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, especially in, in a North American culture, it's very dumb. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. No, yeah, it's, no. it's completely wrong. It's ass backwards, as they say. So anyway. Anyways. Mike, uh, Dan Wagner from Patreon uh, wrote in an opening topic for us to talk about today. And I think you're really going to like this one. Okay. Cool. What is it? All right. So Dan says, I think a fun topic might be what the best live show you've ever been to is. I know you guys have talked a lot of, in the past about going to DIY shows and concerts, so that might be a fun one. Cheers. So Dan wants to hear us talk about some, basically some concert memories mm-hmm. and uh, maybe the last concert we went to before the lockdown, <laughs> uh, the first concert we'd ever been to. Um, I've been to about 51 shows. I, th- I think I was at 51 when the pandemic hit. I've been to two digital concerts in the last year, which sort of count. Uh, you've been to way more concerts than me, though, Mike. How many? Do you know how many you're at uh, off the top of your head? Close to 100, I think. I don't. Yeah. I don't have an exact number uh, because my my memory is pretty fuzzy of like the early concerts. Right. So I'm not sure if I went. Like some, I think I went to. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you, Dan, for writing in. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, I really appreciate that and for being a Patreon supporter. Yeah. But I think some of the best ones I've ever been to was one quite recently, actually. I saw Boy Genius, which is a mm. kind of super group uh, with uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Lucy uh, Dacus. Mm-hmm. And the three of them, uh, you know, have their own individual solo careers. Phoebe actually has blown up way more than I ever thought she would. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really cool because it was about a four-hour show, uh, and it was... You know, like uh, most shows are, but it's just the openings, uh, the the openers right. take a while and everything. But for this show, everyone was there for the opener because it was Lucy who started. Right. F- Phoebe was up next and then Julian uh, finished off the night. And then for an hour after that, the <laughs> three of them played their songs together. That's so cool. So it was really, really cool to see. And um, the, at the, the last song they played, they actually did it without any mics or amplification. Mm. So they got everyone to just be super super quiet right uh except you could hear the stupid beard like the the the, the, uh, the, bar? the bar yeah you could oh. hear the change of the bar going it's like oh dude oh, what? what are you doing <laughs> oh god wait, wait, which uh which venue was that at danforth music hall in toronto okay 
Wait, the Danforth Bar, though, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, they, you know, it's a side bar. Yeah, they have the East yeah. and West Bar. Yeah, so they have their main bar, which is separate from the state, uh, from the, uh, the theater, which yeah. makes sense. But then they have, like, their own little bar tents or whatever. Within the uh, – The East the and West hall. Bar, I think they call it. Oh, that's a, that sucks. Oh, that I, – I didn't I didn't go to that one with you. I remember you offered, I think, if I wanted to go, mm-hmm. but the, I didn't – I only really listened to Phoebe Bridgers of those three, and I, I love her album Stranger in the Alps. That's a mm-hmm. really good album. Uh, and other than that, I didn't really know – much of the other artists' work, so I didn't go. But when you told me the stories about it, it sounded just amazing. Um, that's probably yeah. going to be one of the shows that I regret not going oh, to. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it was it was very cool, and I'm I'm glad to I got to experience it. But uh, lots yeah. of other concerts, obviously. But I'm just going to stick with that one is uh, probably my favorite recently concert memory. And the last show that you and I both went to the last show together, right before the lockdown, which was Pew Pew Pew. Did you go mm-hmm. to one after that? No, I did not. That was yeah. the last one. We were almost going to go to Detroit and see the Wonder right. Years, um, and that was scheduled for March 14th, so yeah. the day after everything kind of shut down. Yep. And they had played March 12th in St. Louis, and I was just like, no, you're so close. I know. Yeah, we were, we were kind of fingers crossed. We knew at that point that the, uh, the world was about to be shut down, yeah. and I think we were just kind of hoping that they would have said Monday. And we could have made our trip because, yeah, we had booked an Airbnb to drive to Chicago and uh, stay overnight and see Spanish Love Songs, The Wonder Years, and uh, uh, what's the other band that was going to play? Free Throw? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Free Throw was the other <laughs> – yeah, that, that's what it was. Um, but, yeah, the last show you and I went to go see was Pew 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 at the Horseshoe, Ta- Horseshoe Tavern uh, here in Toronto. Uh, the Midnight Show, classic Pew 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 show. Every year in January or February they come and we have to go out at 10 o'clock at night, which is just unheard of for me. Um, one of my favorite concert memories though is, uh, not favorite, but just one of the standout memories was, I know what you're going to say, is the modern baseball show. <laughs> oh where, no, that's not oh. what I, I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say the bad religion show. The bad religion show. <laughs> where the girl, like. Oh, <laughs> that, I can, I can tie that one into that one though. Okay, so that's sure, fine. Go ahead. So yeah, one of my favorite, or one of the standout concert memories for me, I go to concerts where it's, it's violent to be perfectly honest, like it's mosh pits and not, I've heard of way worse mosh pits than the ones that I go to, but you know, where I go, people jump off stages and everyone's kind of, you know, throwing themselves into each other. And I saw a band called Modern Baseball play and they're, they're a band they've since disbanded, uh, 2017. This would have been their last show in Toronto. And, uh, a girl jumped off the stage and I don't think anybody caught her. So she got knocked out. And the show stopped. The lights came on. It was the band stood awkwardly on stage for a half hour, um, which is about half the set. And, you know, paramedics came. She got taken out in a stretcher. And then the, the weirdest part was the band had to go back on and play basically their encore. And then it ended. Um, that's so weird. It was like her friends were crying. Like it was emotional and like everyone's kind of standing around like, this is really awkward, but we still want the show to go on. (laughs) (laughs) We we want her to feel like, all right and be okay. But like, this is, yeah, it's, and would you say half hour in? Like it it was, it it was, yeah, about a half an hour in, they had played songs off of their latest album, which is not their strongest album, which was too bad. So we didn't get to hear a lot of their hits, which sucked because that's their last show that they're ever going to play. They they don't, they're not going to get back together. No, Uh, they're a very small band. I I think they're from Philadelphia, but Anyway, so I, I saw them play three or four times, so that's fine. But that ties into the, the memory that you thought I was going to tell, Mike, which was when <laughs> you and I saw Bad Religion play uh, at Echo Beach, which is, uh, again, in Toronto. We have like a really good uh, beachfront concert, uh, Echo Theater, whatever it's called, uh, Amphitheater. Yeah. And uh, right in front of the stage is just sand. 
which is fine, I guess. But like, you could have some pretty good circle pits there. The only issue is that there's a metal storm drain in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, not a great place for a storm drain. And no. we saw a, a a girl basically like hit her head on, yep. or, uh, hit some part of her body on that that uh, that that storm drain and got like, carted out as well. She was uh, no, not carted uh, out, not carried out, out carried, carried out, out by carried three. Out. By three people, which was interesting because, like, one guy had her leg, one guy had, like, her arm, and the other guy had her – like, they weren't carrying her right. She was, like, limp. Yeah, it like, was not – and Neil and I try and go in every mosh pit that we – for mm-hmm. concerts that we go to. You know, we're always pretty good with that. But um, that was one that I was, like, I think I'm going to stay out yeah. <laughs> of this one. <laughs> yeah, we stayed the heck out of that one. I think they fixed it because that show was 2014. 14. And then we went again in 2019 – to yes, see some 41. 41 and i don't remember the storm drain being as bad at that show so i think they either took it out or put concrete over it or yeah. something which that's not better but <laughs> they did something to fix it the, so the, the last thing to 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 end this topic too neil is mm-hmm. that we actually probably saw the worst opening band we've ever seen at yes. that concert oh god where we saw the vandals uh play <sighs> And the Vandals, uh, they're kind of a, an old stalwart of 80s punk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they got some good albums and, and everything. Very DIY. Early skate uh, punk, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, their their drummer was missing. And so they had this random drummer on who didn't, didn't know, want to be there. Didn't <laughs> want to be there. Uh, they didn't know the lyrics to most of their own songs. They attempted to play a cover of Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, oh, which was stopped. So at, <laughs> at some point... <laughs> Yeah. So uh, that was that was a tough one to, yeah. to watch. And they were only on for about 20 minutes because I, I noticed that Bad Religion set was much longer mm-hmm. than a normal opening band's set would be. Probably a, at least an hour, Yeah, uh, I would say. so. I think it was supposed <laughs> to be a, a dual headliner that night too because it was the Offspring's True. 20th anniversary of uh, Smash, yes. which is why everybody was there. But that was... Th- there are some bad opening bands that we've seen in the past and some amazing opening bands that mm-hmm. we've seen. So the opening bands, I'm in the camp of people that shows up at the show at 7 o'clock. I think the first time we went to a show together, you were like, why are you here so early? Uh, because I like I like seeing the <laughs> opening bands right. because you might discover a new band and you might, see, you might see the Vandals, which, oh, that was so bad. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that every opening band should do a cover song. I'm so yes. for that. Every mm-hmm. time an opening band does do a cover song, I remember them forever. That's right. One of the best opening bands I've seen, Lush Buffalo. They covered, uh, oh, what song was that? Flock of Seagulls. Flock of Seagulls, yes. Uh, I ran. And I ran. Oh, God. I can't believe you missed that. That was so funny. Lush Buffalo, Toronto band. If you have a chance, look them up. They don't have a lot of listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Did Dan try and buy a CD? And they're like, sorry, man. Yeah. We did not come prepared. (laughs) Yeah, friend of the show, Dan, he he went to their merch tent because he wanted to support them. And he was like, oh, I'd love to buy you guys CD. And the guy was like, we have one T-shirt in large. We're on Spotify. <laughs> that was funny. Anyway, Dan Wagner, thank you so much for the opening topic. Mike and I could talk about live shows all day, but uh, we're going to have to move on to the show. But first, Mike, we have to do our new favorite segment. Not that new anymore, but it's time for the mailbag. mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into us, you can leave us a comment on any social media feed that we're on. You can also go to Spotify, Apple Music, leave us a review. We'll probably read it on the show eventually. Just like James did on Twitter a few weeks ago, uh, mm. James wrote to us. He said, found your podcast on Spotify, and I've honestly no idea how it's not more popular. I've never played most of the games you guys have went over, and it's just nice hearing people talk passionately about games. Very professional and easy to listen to. Oh, wow. Thank you, James. 
Yeah, thank you so Appreciate much. Appreciate that. Why aren't we uh, bigger, Neil? I don't know. We're working on it. <laughs> I, I, I've I've received. We've you know obviously we received lots of comments and and uh, uh, goodwill from a lot of people recently, especially. And a lot of people have said that we sound very professional for just this small two man podcast. So uh, cool. We which we produce ourselves. Uh, so thank you for saying that. I'm glad that we sound decent. I guess there are a lot of podcasts out there that do sound terrible. I, I've listened to a few, or I've tried to get into a few where it sounds like they're recording just from speakerphones and like there it's it is the whole thing right now it's almost a meme to the point where you know there are so many podcasts out there and yeah. i mean we're not like a we're not a million dollar production like the joe rogan podcast or anything or you know we don't have the equipment to talk about video games like something like ign i guess but it kind of scares me a little bit when people say that we should be more popular that makes me think like oh god there's expectation now speaking of expectations let's let's talk about some of these games because they have a Let's, let's have low expectations for them for this episode, Neil. Okay, yeah, everyone take your expectations and bring it down to a four. Because this is episode 46 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. And we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. If you would like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon forward slash the GameCube was cool. Every dollar helps us grow the show, but supporters at the $5 or above level will get their names read in the credits at the beginning of the show and the option to submit an opening topic like what Dan did today. Last week, we covered baseball games on the GameCube. This week, we're covering Pokemon experiences on the GameCube (laughs) as well as Digimon games on the GameCube. So we decided to pair Pokemon with Digimon a little bit here. We're not going to be covering the bigger Pokemon games. They're going to get their own episode. But there were a few Pokemon uh, discs, let's call them, that ended up on the GameCube, specifically Pokemon Channel and Pokemon Box for Ruby and Sapphire, which aren't necessarily games, but we're going to review them anyway. And then there were two Digimon games on the GameCube too. Digimon was a huge competitor of Pokemon in the late 90s, early 2000s, and we just thought it would be fun to pair these two uh, these two games together. So we're going to have four games to talk about today. Uh, but first, Mike, before we talk about these games, I think we have to talk about our history with Pokemon. Sure, uh, and we'll talk about our history with Digimon uh, later on in the episode. But yeah, let's let's obviously Pokemon was completely entrenched in our lives from day one. Yep. Uh, we are definitely the age group that fully grew up with it. Yes. Uh, coming out in 99, I guess, around that time in North America. Yep. Uh, I know it was it was prevalent in Japan before then. And it was probably one of the first games I you know really got into. I had Pokemon Red and Blue, actually. I was really lucky. Um, I don't know why. I guess parents don't realize that they're, they're the same game. <laughs> and we were asking, we would ask our parents for these games too. So they, they didn't know. Like, I mean, like they would have just thought it was a different game and they did have their own differences. But yeah, it, they look different enough on the shelf. I think that parents were okay buying it twice for their kids without thinking they're just throwing their money away. Yeah, and exactly. And so obviously with the games playing playing those uh, games, I wanted to get the cards because everyone at school had Pokemon cards. And yep. We're trading them and and such, so I obviously got into that a lot. That's kind of where I spent all my allowance money, <laughs> I yeah. guess, at that at that time, and mm-hmm. uh, got my parents to to buy me a couple of packs uh, whenever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, I don't know about your school, Neil, um, because we didn't go to the same school at first. So right. I don't know about your school, but uh, they banned Pokemon cards. I think when I was in grade two, mm-hmm. uh, so like I don't know what's that, two thousand and one or so. Yep. 
but I remember when they banned it, and I was very upset. Uh, and it was because kids kept getting their their, their like holographic nice Pokemon cards stolen yep. uh, by like not stolen but traded in quotes with like by the the, the older kids, you know, the mm-hmm. fourth graders. <laughs> yes, yes, the old the the senior fourth graders, of course. Yeah, I think my my school did too. It was an issue with kids stealing each other's cards and mm-hmm. you know picking on each other or whatever. And there's also the issue with our, in our area, schools were always worried about kids gambling too. I remember even in high school, like we couldn't play regular cards because kids were playing poker. Even if they weren't playing for money, I think it was just easier to cut out all games of chance and skill because it does show you know signs of gambling or whatever. The same thing happened with Yu-Gi-Oh cards and really any major toy fad. It was pretty much. Uh, you know you got to leave your toys at home pretty much was the the end of the at the end of the day that that's what happened with us and because our generation we went through it i guess every kid's generation does we went through a lot of different uh fads and and, uh, phases with Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon beyblade uh bakugan Mm -hmm. eventually there were all of these collectible things that kids could buy and Pokemon cards were basically like buying cigarettes for kids. Like it was ad- addicting for sure. <laughs> I, I also want to mention, obviously, I got my start in the movies, uh, mm-hmm. the Pokemon movies. The only movie I vividly remember is you're going to have to help me out here, Neil. Uh, sure. It's the one with the unknowns and you got the Entai card okay. uh, when you when you walked into the, the theater. I think that was the one after Pokemon 2000s. That would have been Pokemon 3, which was probably 2001, 2002. No, Mewtwo Returns is the first Pokemon movie. That's the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So it was the 2001 one or whatever. Mm. Because, yeah, I saw all three of them in theaters, but the only one I vividly remember was um, was the the one with the unknowns because of getting the (laughs) – I just remember getting the card. Yes. Yeah, when I walked in. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my dad sitting behind us because he took (laughs) us and he just had a whole thing of candy and he was eating it. (laughs) Well, imagine being a dad watching a Pokemon (laughs) movie with your kids in the 2000s. Your dad's, it's just an acid trip for parents. I can't imagine, I have to wrap my head around eventually taking my future kids to movies that they're into and I'm not. Like, that's just a dad thing to do. Still good of your dad to do that, though. Like, my parents, I got to sit them down and ask them what happened because, not in a bad way, but just like when I was a kid, I was really into Pokemon. I was really into Star Wars. I didn't see any of these movies in theaters. Like, Star Wars Episode Three was the first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters. I thought you saw Phantom Menace. I guess you didn't. No. I was, I would have been five years old that summer. I was playing with lightsabers. I was buying the N64, I was asking for the N64 games. My parents never took me to see them in theaters. So my my dad liked, uh, it's funny because my, my mom is the one who really likes movies and takes, uh, Mm -hmm. like, and would take me to movies when I was a little older. But when I was younger, it was my dad taking me to everything, Mm -hmm. uh, for movie, movie wise. And I remember him taking me to Shrek. And I remember that one, he was laughing yes. <laughs> throughout. But because it's and basically was... <laughs> Eddie Murphy having a comeback tour. That's basically what and that he was. Loved, he loves Eddie Murphy. And, yeah. and so he, he and like, my, you know, my dad, and he's not a big, like, you know, like he won't be a bit boisterous laugher, I guess. But he, he was laughing constantly throughout that movie. It's great, yeah. And yeah. I just, I remember he would only laugh, him and the, like, I guess the other dads <laughs> would only laugh at like the parts that we weren't laughing at. Right. And it's, I just remember thinking like, am I not getting something? <laughs> that's the sign of, that's the sign of a great movie though, is when the kids laugh at certain parts and parents laugh at other parts. That's terrific. It's true. But I do feel bad for him for taking me to all those Pokemon movies because I, mm-hmm. I, to this day, I, he's he's always like, yeah, those, those 
those were terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, they're okay as a kid. For, for oh, for like as a kid, it's great. And yeah. today, I love it because you know nostalgia, and I know what Pokemon is. Right. But for for my like thirty or thirty five year old dad at the time, he probably was like, "What is this?" I know <laughs> it's got to be so hard to to sit through that. I do have to give my parents a ton of credit, though. I feel bad that I said that up front. In 1999, I got my lime green Game Boy Color and Pokemon Yellow for my sixth birthday, I guess it would have been. And every picture of me you can see as a kid, I have that Game Boy in my you hand. You got that lime with... green. I got that purple. You got that lime green. I got the lime green. Still have it, man. <laughs> my brother got the purple one. My older brother, he's five years older than me. So that's how I got into Pokemon was he had this pack of cards or this deck mm-hmm. of cards on his desk. And the first card I remember seeing was Charmeleon. I, I have that in my mind. And my parents took me to buy my first pack of Pokemon cards a few days later, and I got holographic Alakazam in that oh, one. Yes. It's a good first pull, man. And So uh, your first card was um, a, a Charmeleon, you said? That was my, the first card I ever saw. Okay. It yeah, was, was my brother's. Say, my first card that I ever received, someone gave it to me before I actually bought something, was Nidoran. Oh. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why I remember that, but hmm. I just like vividly have that picture in my mind of, okay. of having that card on my desk. <laughs> yeah, there, there's just something you can't explain to anybody that doesn't collect cards, like just opening a pack and, and getting, you know, getting ones you don't want, getting ones you already have, and then pulling a really Stupid rare pidgeys. card. Yeah, Pidgeys. Or, I can remember vividly my first pack was like a Red Energy. I got a Rattata, an Onyx the alakazam there's nothing worse than getting like a bunch of energy cards we're just like throw these away every pack came with one or two because we didn't know what those were for those were for playing the card game but that's for a whole other day but yes you can even i love this in in our high school yearbook you can actually there's actually a picture of me in our senior year uh in a picture and i'm playing pokemon yellow in my game boy advance <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we'll try and find that picture for the show and post I it on I our story <laughs> yeah there's a picture of me playing pokemon yellow in 2010 i think that picture was taken um so, yeah, and then my parents, they didn't take me to see the movies and theaters, but my mom did take me and my cousin to see Pokemon Live, which was like a musical to, okay. to Pokemon in 2000. We saw that for my seventh birthday. Uh, yeah, and you can find like really bad YouTube videos of it. It's very cheesy, but there were people in costumes playing Pikachu and Mewtwo and Meowth, and there was a Jesse, James, Ash, Misty, Brock. They were all there. It was just a Pokemon episode live to music, like with songs and dances it was <laughs> completely <laughs> insane but uh yeah. that was probably one of my favorite pokemon memories that i have so let's just transition now to talking a little bit about the first couple pokemon games that we saw uh on the gamecube mike what do you think yeah let's do it all right sounds good so the first game on our list today is pokemon channel which was released on december 1st 2003 it's developed by umbrella and it's published by nintendo and the pokemon company this is a GameCube exclusive. Uh, if you wanted to pick it up today, it's $130. At least. Yeah, at least. That's a Most low of them point. I saw were around $300 Canadian. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sealed, complete. If it's, you know, good shape, disc, everything. Uh, yeah, $300. Uh, do not spend that on this game. <laughs> it rates about a 5 out of 10. It sold 380,000 copies, which for a Pokemon game, Pokemon experience, is very low. Uh, it's developed by the same company, or developers, I guess, who made Hey You Pikachu, which was an N64 mm. game. Uh, fairly popular uh, amongst people our age where you could kind of talk to Pikachu on the N64, Yep. tell him to do things, basically a virtual pet experience, which this game is that again. Kind of is, yeah. Another kind of interactive Pokemon experience where the Pokemon on screen are more your pets and you interact with them through uh, a TV channel, Pokemon channel, basically. That's what I got from watching reviews. 
Oh, did you? So I I had a friend who had Pokemon Channel. Oh, um, okay. And and so kind of interesting because this game I remember playing it at his house, uh, and I remember like not really knowing what it was because I thought it was a Pokemon Stadium. I thought it was Pokemon Stadium for the GameCube. Okay. Uh, because it looks like it when you first boot it up. It looks like you have you know these mini games to go to. It's similar graphics. So I was kind of expecting that and then and it does have a bunch of these mini games mm-hmm. but then i just remember waiting a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all that's what i remember the most about this game and i had to watch a lot of footage this week to to kind of like get my head wrapped around it because i was like what what is this game is this mm-hmm. a game <laughs> no i wouldn't i wouldn't call it a game it it does have some interesting like it's just a weird thing that nintendo put out and the pokemon company put out in 2003 the Nintendo, uh, the handheld Pokemon games and the console Pokemon games have always had a weird relationship in that the handheld games have always been what the hardcore Pokemon fans will go to regardless. And then yeah. there's the console games for specifically GameCube and Wii, uh, less or so on the Wii U because there weren't many games on the Wii U, but the games on GameCube and Wii were, were more so experiences and like side projects as opposed to a real yeah. Pokemon RPG and it's like the opposite, really, like basically. of most games. And the spin-off Pokemon games sometimes are bangers. Like you, we get games like Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, yeah. Pokemon Puzzle League, Pokemon uh, Dungeons. Like there are games that do hit, but then occasionally we get games like Pokemon Channel, which are just <laughs> random th- throws at a dartboard that don't seem to hit. Yeah, so uh, some the plot of this game, there is a plot technically, <laughs> okay. uh, is uh, uh, Pokemon come to your house, they drop off a TV. And they're like, here, here's this TV, this Pokemon TV, special Pokemon channels. And uh, Pikachu is obviously there to help you out. Of course. Uh, and he just starts living in your house also uh, without permission. So uh, rent free. So, <laughs> Dick. Right there. Um, <laughs> and then and so you kind of just go in and you get to start uh, browsing these channels. And it's kind of like an animal, animal crossing in that way. Mm-hmm. Because you get to buy things from some of these channels. You can like outfit your home. In a lot of ways, you know, you're kind of like it's almost like a life sim in that sense and a pet sim, like you said before. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the channels consist of uh, we have the Wobbuffet one. That's the first one I remembered. Okay. Uh, and looking back on it or like watching it this week, it's really cool because uh, you know how Wobbuffet is like the blue thing. Yeah blob and the real wobbuffet is behind him the little black thing Mm -hmm. uh well free because he's the quiz channel host uh the real wobbuffet is actually the microphone which is kind of clever oh i like that that's that's clever okay cool they had had some interesting chant like interesting ways of kind of making pokemon into the real world i think they also had a psyduck channel where he tells the news okay yes that's one of my favorite so it's pnf pokemon news flash right uh Psyduck is the anchor, and he has a suit on and everything, and he's like shuffling paper, <laughs> and and then Meowth is the field reporter, mm. okay. <laughs> and so he keeps cutting to Meowth to, like to talk about stuff, and then uh, Slowpoke is the weatherman, right. and this is another thing uh, that I remembered. He just sleeps while the <laughs> while the weather plays, and he chooses one of the weathers depending on where his tail goes. Mm. Okay. Uh, I I don't know if the weather has any effect on anything, but I just no. remember that. <laughs> Is there a day and night cycle in Pokemon Channel? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> God, yeah, there were some little extras thrown in there too, like depending on where you live uh, in North America and Japan. Uh, they actually included the functionality with the e-reader cards, which we talked a little bit about back on oh. our episode with Animal Crossing. The Animal Crossing e-reader cards. 
the game, if you bought the game in Japan or North America, came with three cards uh, with the game, which basically unlocks um, coloring books in the game. <laughs> if that's yeah, that's you, right. Yeah, if that's yeah. what you're into, you have some coloring <laughs> pads in the game, which I, I guess that's fun. If you have a PAL version of the Pokemon channel and you have the PAL version of Ruby and Sapphire, you unlock uh, Jira- Jirachi? I don't okay. know that. In the Game Boy Advance game. That seems convoluted. It, yeah. <laughs> you basically get a free Pokemon if you have both. So, so you actually game. need all three games. You need Pokemon Channel, you need mm-hmm. Ruby Box, and then you need the actual Game Boy Advance version of Ruby or Sapphire. No, no, you uh, you would just need Pokemon Channel, Ruby or Sapphire, and the Link Cable. Oh, okay, okay. Which no one had that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like what I remember with uh, the Smash Bros. games that came out uh, back in 2014, where if you mm-hmm. had the 3DS version and the Wii U version, you got... Uh, Mewtwo automatically, I think. Is that true? I don't remember. You got a poke. You got one of the anyway. So it was kind of like that. Kind of neat. There's also the uh, Pokemon Mini uh, that you can play even minier games. Minier <laughs> uh, <laughs> gets even smaller. Oh dear. Oh, it's so it's. I don't know if you've seen this, Neil, but it's it looks like a Tamagotchi almost. Um, and it's it literally says Pokemon Mini underneath, and it's like Game Boy at top, and it it's basically like WarioWare games, but Pokemon. So they're kind of cool. Okay. Uh, I it's 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 kind of hidden. You have to go through a lot of layers and like days. That's the other thing we didn't say is that there is technically a day and night cycle in, in Pokemon Channel because the days change, and so you have to wait a day sometimes to like get your your orders ah. for for things because there's okay. a lot. Of the way that you get anything from your house or like upgrade things is through the the shop in Squirtle Channel, uh, right. which is hosted by the Squirtle Squad, mm. and it's basically Those like the are... shopping channel, and they get other Pokemon to kind of. Um, be the person in the audience. <laughs> it's like, wow, look at this. Like the clapper, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ditto is, seems to be it most of the time. <laughs> okay. Well, he's a good Pokemon. He's a good I like po- him. Well, he can change into anything. So he can be any, any, uh, That's right. anyone. That's why he's the, the perfect uh, uh, product uh, placement guy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I'm just watching some gameplay now of this Pokemon mini game. Yeah. It looks okay. I think it would have been a interesting. fine... Yeah, would have been a fine Game Boy Color game. That's what it looks like. It looks like a Game Boy Color kind of style. Um, yeah. But and, and I like that something like this is included. But it feels like it feels like this game in general just very convoluted with a lot of small mini games that aren't really games. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of waiting. Uh, yep. A lot of like it's it's a whole bunch of things together that don't actually make a game. Where right. Animal Crossing is a whole bunch of things together that does make a full experience and a full game. It's tied together much more seamlessly. That This yeah. is not really... It would have been a fun kind of... Maybe a fun idea to make a Pokemon game where there is like a town that you're living in. Mm-hmm. And instead of going out on an adventure, you're staying in the town for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't get a starter Pokemon or some sad story like that. And so you have to make your own Pokemon experience uh, living in in this small town. That might have been a more fun way to pull it all together. I'm guessing the development time for this was not very high, nor the budget. No despite Pokemon company having infinite money. Uh, one of the interesting things about the game, again, experience, if you want to call it that, is that you can unlock five fragments of basically a lost Pokemon episode. Yes. So, yeah, you can unlock five parts of an episode and you can watch them all. So you get you do get to unlock an extra Pokemon episode if that's what you're into. Uh, you can do that too. So there is that sort of little hidden Easter egg in the game too. The Pokemon channel feels like it was made to be pokemon but without battling which i think is a really intuitive and interesting thing to do at this time mm-hmm. because we actually did get it eventually with pokemon go which was right. when it 
came out was just just uh like just catching pokemon right uh and we have it a bit with snap as well right just taking photographs of pokemon so i i like the idea of it and i like i i can see why they would have made something like this at the time but one the fact that you call it pokemon channel seems like you're buying like a tv subscription to something (laughs) right which is not a great way to to showcase it and two Mm -hmm. it it doesn't it's not cohesive it's not a singular vision it doesn't seem to use the pokemon to their advantages instead it makes like almost caricatures out of them by putting them in like uh you know there's snorlax's art studio <laughs> which is just <laughs> snorlax uh, rating art like and just saying whether it's good or bad i think mr mime would have been a better choice for that one uh, yes yeah and, but uh, at the same time why is that thing like what what is this you know there's so many channels and so many instances of this game that you look at and you're like why why does this exist at all nothing is happening mm-hmm. am i just am i actually watching like a pokemon <laughs> episode now <laughs> that is one of the things I like about the Pokemon games, though, is that you do see pieces or just bits and bits and bobs of Pokemon having actual jobs. Like, you yeah, see I do Machokes, love that. Like Machokes helping you move in or random <laughs> things like Dragonite being a mailman in the movie. Like, it's, just, it's just funny when they give them real world jobs, even though they're they're kind of like the animals of this universe. You never see real animals in the Pokemon universe. It's yeah. all just Pokemon, which is funny. The first time I saw this game... I think I think it was at uh, ANC Games here in Toronto, our uh, our retro video game store, and I honestly thought it was episodes of Pokemon. Like, yep. I thought it was oh they put they put some uh, Pokemon episodes on the GameCube disc, and I can watch it on my GameCube. That's neat. Yeah. And then I looked at the back, and it, and it looked like like what you said, just a collection of mini games, some random. It looked like a kids Pokemon game, if that's even though Pokemon is a kids franchise. But no, it feels it, even kiddier. Like it feels like right. super like for like for babies as uh, as a kid would say at the time. <laughs> and they don't they don't yeah. and they don't need to do that because I mean no. like look at the Pokemon game red, blue, yellow and green if you lived in Japan are some of the harder Pokemon games ever. Like because mm-hmm. there's they were just getting started with the game. There's no nothing's ever over explained. Not nothing, but there's not as much over-explaining in the game. There's no experience sharing. And yet we were in kindergarten playing these games for hours, yeah. beating them and, you know, playing them with friends. You don't need to make the games too kiddie to, to, to get a newer generation into the games. And I... Not that they have to make really gritty, realistic Pokemon games, but I just think sometimes they err on the side of being a little too juvenile. Yeah, I agreed. Juvenile is the right word for sure for that. Before we finish off with Pokemon Channel, a <laughs> um, friend of the show, Harrison, his brother, uh, Hunter, uh, he's he's commented on a couple of things that we've, we've talked about before. And he has a quote that I, I'd like to say <laughs> on this, if I may. Okay, perfect. All right, hit, hit me with Hunter's knowledge. He says, well, I remember playing it, Pokemon Channel that is, uh, there was a quiz show with Wobbuffet uh, you could do, and you could stand outside in the backyard with Pikachu, just like I've always dreamed. I don't know. I feel that game was slightly realistic in that if the Pokemon were real, we would spend our time together mostly watching TV, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah, that's accurate. So no, I just wanted to to, to plug that on, on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you, Hunter, for writing in. We really appreciate any reader mail we get. Uh... <laughs> I have nothing else to say. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I think it's time to read the back of the case for this TV show. All right. Sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Professor Oak needs your help. 
Pokemon Channel is a TV broadcasting network that airs a variety of Pokemon programs, and he's selected you as the initial test audience. Me. With the help of Pikachu and other Pokemon, you can make Pokemon Channel the highest rated channel on your TV. Oh yeah, there are like stats and stuff. That's, um, oh, what's the Pokemon's name? Chumchum, uh, uh, Smoochum. Smoochum. Uh, yeah, Smoochum hosts. Oh, it. that's... One of the Gen 2 Pokemons, yeah, I guess. Gen 2 one, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, she I'm not she as, it. I didn't actually say this up front. I'm a Gen 1 Pokemon fan through and through. I did play Silver and Gold, but it didn't resonate with me as much. Uh, I so only know Gen it, 1 and 2, and that's, that's about exactly, it. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. We probably should have said that up front. My, I, we've played some of the new ones. Like, I've played uh, Emerald, I've played Omega mm -hmm. Ruby, and I've played X and Y, mm -hmm. and I think I stopped at X and Y. So I've played, I've played bits of the Pokemon, the newer Pokemon games, I guess, since Game Boy Color, but I really don't know. I definitely know a ton about the first 150 Pokemon. That's that's where we grew up, and that's kind of where I left it. Yeah, I, it's, I, yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about this too much at the beginning of the show, but I obviously grew up with Pokemon like you did, Neil, and, you know, you fall out of it eventually. Yu-Gi-Oh! comes along, other th girls come along, other things happen. <laughs> and I got back into Pokemon before Pokemon Go. I got back into it because of something called Pokemon Showdown, uh, which is a, a free-to-play game on just on the browser uh, that is, I think, still has a huge user base, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. But okay. back in, like, 2012, I started playing it uh, because uh, our friend Jake, a friend of the show, Jake, he actually is a like master Pokemon player. He was number one in Canada on Pokemon X, I think it was, for a long time, mm, uh, okay. and has gone to Japan for Pokemon. So like for Jeez. tournaments and stuff. So he's yeah, he, he's done quite well in the Pokemon verse. But um, uh, for uh, for Showdown, it's you know it's just battling basically, and you can choose any Pokemon you want. And there's they've you know. They've banned certain ones, uh, and uh, but I kind of learned about later Pokemon like Gen three, four, five through that, uh, and mm. so now I know you know bits and pieces. I know the good ones, <laughs> basically, yeah. of yeah. after Gen two, and so that's mm -hmm. kind of what got got me back in. And it wasn't until uh, I actually didn't play Pokemon Go at first for a while. Not until oh, really? maybe like well, not a while. I mean, like a couple months. <laughs> but, That's a long time. At, uh, yeah, because I remember summer. everyone was talking about it, and I was like, because everyone was so into Pokemon Go because they were so they all had it in their childhood and had completely lost it since then, basically, and right. were now just like, oh yeah, I remember Pokemon. That was so much fun. And for me, mm. I was like, well, like it never really went away for me. I, I always kind of kept my foot in the water for it and was really into it for a while with playing showdown uh, in university so mm -hmm. i was like oh, i don't know this seems kind of dumb and then when i actually you know got into it then it was obviously fun but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i've always been a i've been i think since probably this era probably 2003 2004 i've been more of a a sideline pokemon fan if you if you'd say <laughs> like i've i've always kind of dipped my toe into the pokemon games here and there yeah i i finished my collection of pokemon cards from childhood which was awesome i'm glad i did that when i did because those oh, are getting yeah. pricey now yeah, I have some unopened packs that I'm never going to open. So I will always be a Pokemon fan at heart. But when it comes to the new stuff, it just I don't think it's ever going to resonate with me as much as the old ones did. Yep, agreed. agreed. So let's talk about this next Pokemon experience, which I don't think we're going to have much to say about it. Uh, but it's Pokemon Box Ruby and Sapphire, which was released on July 12th, 2004. It's developed by Nintendo, published by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company. This is on GameCube only. Uh, if you wanted to pick it up today, I found prices between $400 and $500 yep. for the North American version. I had trouble finding ratings for this game because 
it's not a game. It's, not <laughs> it's a even game. less. Yeah. It's even less of a game for <laughs> than Pokemon Channel was. So, Mike, I think this is the first GameCube product that we have reviewed or talked about without giving it a score. The first GameCube product that doesn't have a score. And then we're going to do beautiful. that. We're going to use that again for the next one, which is never. So <laughs> Yeah, that's right. There's no others after this one. It's not a game at all. It's not even a retail game. Like you couldn't walk into a Walmart or a Toys R Us or a Best Buy and that's buy right. this game off the shelf. It was only sold at the Nintendo store in New York City for $20. And if you lived in Europe, you could only really get this game... Again, if you ordered it online, I guess, or if you traded in your stars from Club Nintendo, which was Nintendo's old loyalty program, yes, where when you bought games, you could review games and they would give you points. You could redeem those points to get Pokemon Box uh, Omega Ruby. We talked Sorry. a little bit about that with, uh, what was it, the Zelda collection, the Majora's Mask, yes. or not Majora's Mask, the Ocarina of Time Master Quest. Right, exactly. And if you uh, redeemed your points to get this game, or you spent 20 uh, American dollars, you would get the disc for your GameCube, a link cable, and a 59-block memory card. And you would that's basically worth it. use... $20 yeah, to like, get a link bad. cable on a memory card? <laughs> just for those two things alone, it's yeah. worth it. Sometimes Nintendo makes these little box sets where it's worth it just to get it for the free controller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was basically used as a storage tool if you played Gen 3 of Pokemon. So if you had... Uh, ruby sapphire or emerald uh you can store your extra pokemon in this game mm -hmm. it, it's it was a you know it was a good idea to have it for sure pokemon has always struggled with storage uh like yeah. storing your your animals basically uh yeah. and it's something that you know i think they're gonna keep struggling with because they don't yep. seem to have it fully figured out yet but mm -hmm. at, at the time this was i guess the first time that they really had a dedicated storage uh, unit almost uh, and game for your Pokemon. Uh, I do I do love the large cardboard package that it comes in. Yes. Uh, we didn't really talk about this before for Odama, but Odama was packaged in that in that style, which I love. So was Mario Party Seven. Mario Party Seven and Four Swords Adventure uh, was mm -hmm. also packaged, or I think you could get it in that package. Yep. Yeah, just like a little box set that came with a bunch of goodies for the game that it came with odama yeah. and uh, four swords adventure and mario party were actually games though this is more of <laughs> this is more of like a collector's item for hardcore pokemon fans like you said mike pokemon games have notoriously always been bad at storing uh, pokemon and transferring pokemon between games too is another huge issue with pokemon hardcore pokemon fans is bringing their pokemon up to the next generation yeah Sometimes you can, other times they completely wipe your slate clean and you have to start from scratch, which is a shame. We've never actually had a mainline Pokemon game that you can play, you can uh, have every Pokemon in it. Uh, and we're in 2021 now, the game's uh, 25 years old at this point, the franchise. And it's just a huge issue that I think a lot of people thought that with uh, Pokemon Shield and Sword, that was going to be the first one that kind of united all eight generations together now mm -hmm. i think it's eight generations and it wasn't and that was that was a pretty big controversy i mean the game yeah. ended up selling millions of copies anyway but i remember that being a huge issue when the switch version of pokemon was announced and then we got the announcement of it and it just it felt like the the criticism the criticism around the game started to grow more and more before the game came out which was a shame but this helped ameliorate that at least it helped you uh, store up to 1500 pokemon which I've never needed that much space for a Pokemon game before. Maybe I'm playing the games wrong, but for me, it's never really been an issue with keeping Pokemon well, stored in the box the, that the game comes with. The thing is, is that you can it's you can take it from all your different games from that generation, which uh, are actually five games because Fire Red and Leaf Green can also be True. Um, used here for storage. So we have Sapphire, Ruby, Emerald, Fire Red, Leaf Green. So if that's five games 
you know, let's say you have like um, super upwards 500 Pokemon in each one, you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna want some storage. But yeah, it really wasn't super meant for storage, like you said. It was more of a collector's item than anything, especially right. for the fact that it was only sold in the New York City store. It was only available online anywhere else, which has got to mm-hmm. be one of the first games to ever be available only online uh yeah like i'm trying to think well july 2004 uh we would have had wind waker at this point right mm-hmm. so wind waker or not wind waker but the um the special edition zelda games would have been the nintendo exclusive the nintendo club nintendo exclusive game yes yeah so that would have been one of the ones before that but this but, was but definitely this, you could when... actually you have to actually go and buy it you know what i mean like you actually yeah. have to go online and buy this game like on their mm. store or whatever uh, right. so very strange and very early, like, you know, now this is obviously common, but, but back, yeah. back then. Well, then Nintendo's always been good at, uh, scarcity. It's one of their marketing tools that it works. I mean, they, they're the Kings at, at using scarcity as a marketing tool to sell more copies of literally anything. Yep. Uh, Amiibos, consoles, controllers, games, cables that they can, they can. Can't wait, to, can't wait to find a big bin of Amiibos in five years. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, but they're, they're the king of making us do that. It did have a little bit of extra functionality, too, where if you didn't have the Game Boy Advance player, you could uh, use the Game Boy Advance link cable that the game came with and play your copy of Ruby or Sapphire right to your TV, um, which was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, didn't, you weren't killing batteries with your Game Boy Advance, and you could play Pokemon on your tube TV, which which was neat at the time. It was uh, still a bit of a novelty. Nintendo, of course, have always been pretty pretty good at trying to make you be, or try to help you be able to play your handheld games at home. Uh, the only the issue was always taking your your home games on the road, which we eventually got with Switch. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> it, we were definitely seeing early uh, in Nintendo's life where they were they had the Game Boy, original Game Boy player for the Super Nintendo. And then nothing on the N64, but then they brought it back with GameCube with their advanced player. So yeah, just another one of those early instances where Nintendo was starting to help us kind of combine taking games on the go and bringing them home to play on TV. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of other features too in in this uh, in in this title. Uh, you actually can get special eggs uh, to get a Pokemon to learn suit like very unique moves. Uh, it takes mm-hmm. a lot to do it. I think sometimes you have to have like actually fourteen hundred Pokemon <laughs> in there Jeez. for for things to happen. Uh, but um, you can there's a, there's a chance that Pichu can actually learn Surf through one of these eggs. So, uh, which is pretty nuts. But uh, cool, yeah, I guess. So there, there's a, a bunch of that that's interesting that makes it a little bit of a game rather than just a, a storage uh, solution. Mm-hmm. There's also a a really funny. It's actually a video. It's uh, uh, manned JTV. Uh, on his channel, he's done some crazy Pokemon stuff, and he actually transferred a Pokemon from these games to Sword and Shield, <laughs> all the way through. He had to do a lot of hoops uh, to 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 make it happen. So uh, wow! Before this generation, you can't. So any of your Pokemon who are on those original Game Boy cartridges, as I'm sure you know, are basically dead. Uh, yeah. They they can't be transferred over, and also those Pokemon cartridges probably don't work anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to both things. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, this is the first generation, I guess, where you could actually you can technically still put them on new consoles which is pretty cool wow yeah that that's really neat and it did spawn sequels or spiritual successors if you will where we had pokemon ranch on wii 
and then Pokemon Bank on three on 3DS, which I'm assuming that that YouTuber used to transfer Pokemon up generations. Yes, yes, yeah. that was so, one of the the tools, uh, one of the neat. stops on the journey. <laughs> <laughs> very neat, very neat indeed. Before I read the back of the case and before we close out the Pokemon part of this episode, I just wanted to say something I found really interesting when I was doing research for the show is that uh, starting from 1999, uh, let's say Pokemon in North America uh, up until 2019, so 20 years of Pokemon worldwide sales of merchandise uh, that does not count games and cards which would probably make up the majority of their sales so pokemon merchandise so we're talking backpacks you know plushies t-shirts billions it's got to be in the billions 76 billion usd yeah that's crazy that's That's absolutely nuts insane when you think about you know every single game that they've put out mainline pokemon games sells you know you 20 to 30 million copies between the two copies that they uh, put out you know there's always Mm -hmm. red blue silver gold black white etc um, and then I found an interesting list on Wikipedia, again, of the highest grossing franchises of all time. And Pokemon is number one, obviously. And yeah. I think that that would include video game sales. Interestingly enough, number two was Hello Kitty. <laughs> that is interesting, but yeah. also kind of makes sense. Makes sense. It's much bigger in the East um, yes. than it is here, which just another reminder that there's a whole other world out there that we know nothing about. If you talk to anybody <laughs> in Canada or North America, they'd probably say Star Wars or Marvel yeah, at this yeah. point. but. Yeah, so Pokemon is doing okay, to say it's the least. Okay. It is doing okay. <laughs> it's doing just fine. All right, let's read the back of the case for Pokemon Box, Ruby, and Sapphire. The ultimate utility for the Pokemaniac is here. Store up to 1,500 Pokemon from Pokemon Ruby and Pokemon Sapphire. Organize, collect, sort, and search your Pokemon. Play Pokemon Ruby or Pokemon Sapphire on your TV. Display your Pokemon on a showcase stage. Customize the stage and background. Then display your Pokemon. Oh, yeah, that's right. The showcasing is kind of cool. It's like, it mm-hmm. uh, reminds me of Melee trophies. Yes. Yeah, that, I was thinking the exact same thing. Melee or the new Smash Bros where you can get these sort of digital amiibos when you mm-hmm. unlock new characters. Yeah, and uh, for people who are probably like, oh, wait, they're only doing these two Pokemon games? Don't worry. We are covering uh, the other Pokemon games on their own episode, XD and uh, Coliseum. Uh, that will be a big one, so don't you yep. worry. <laughs> we want to get one, these ones out of the way first. Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, this was just a fun way to sort of dip our toes into the Pokemon universe and stretch content out a little bit more. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, now it's time to move on to part two of this episode, I suppose, which is the Digimon side of of uh, our history mm-hmm. with video games and nostalgia, I suppose. What, what does your history look like with Digimon? Is it as rich as it was with Pokemon? <laughs> absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) it is definitely not as rich i have a bit of background watching the show and watching the movies uh again i do remember my dad taking me to the digimon movie let's talk about that for a second let's talk about that so i have very vivid memories of of this and specifically uh of the angela anaconda scene yes that starts before the movie so uh, not everyone knows Angela Anaconda, I'm sure, especially American listeners and European listeners. But Angela Anaconda was a Canadian TV show, mm-hmm. uh, and it was how do I explain this? Uh, like like cutouts basically of real people, kind of. Yeah, think think like uh, South Park sort of animation where everything is made of paper basically, but it's pictures of black and white, as in like black and white photos, uh, people's faces and. It's hard to tell. Were they? They weren't pictures of real people, but they looked. It was like, like it. yeah. It was like it was like CG animation of real people, but like as like newspaper cutouts, black and like white his, newspaper cutouts. Yeah, yeah that's, that's like the, the best, best way, way to explain it. Frame rate very low. Like it was very mm-hmm. stick sticky animation. Um, yep. 
I don't know how to describe it. It was very popular on, was it on YTV? I think it was on YTV in Canada. YTV. Yeah. Yeah, so basically the first five minutes of the Digimon movie is a short episode of Angela Anaconda <laughs> where all of the characters are going to the movies to see <laughs> to the Digimon, see the Digimon movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, for class. Uh, and, and yeah, and again, I'd like to point out that this is not a trailer before the movie starts and, you know, then, the, then they have all the things that come out and then the movie comes on. No, no, this is the movie has started. The lights mm-hmm. are down. Everything is starting. Angela Anaconda is now here. Yeah. Uh, dressed in in Digimon outfits and yeah. fighting people in Digimon ways, and it's about five minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, then it, it the the movie starts. Uh, so yeah, that's I think. So I had remembered it, you know, kind of uh, until friend of the show Dan brought it up again, and my <laughs> memory just sparked. I was like, oh my god, I remember this. I like. I wonder if I can find footage of this anywhere, and I obviously did. Of, oh, it's very uh, it's very short. easy to find. It's on YouTube. You just have to search Angela Anaconda Digimon. It's the first thing that comes up. First thing. And, and then I, I loved reading the comments because there were so many people who were in there who were like, hey, I'm from I'm like the U.S. And they actually showed this in my theater in, in the States. And I had no idea what was going on. And I thought I was in the wrong theater. And so many people wrote that they thought they were in the wrong theater yeah. because Angela Anaconda was on. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I, I've never heard of something like this before or no. since. I'm trying to think. I I, I can't. Th- I was thinking about that this week too, more than Digimon games, to be honest. Of just movie experiences that threw me off in the first few minutes. And the closest thing I can think of, Mike, is I don't think you saw. Did you see Deadpool with us in 2016? Yes, I did, and and it it, it stopped or it cut or something. No, happened, it, right? they were playing the wrong movie. We oh, that's right. Yes, we went to see Deadpool, which is the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool movie, which is phenomenal. And the movie started, and it was. People on a plane. I think it was the start of a rom com or something. We don't <laughs> yeah. know what it was, but it I was, was the first. You. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the first five minutes of the movie, and we were like looking at each other, like, "Is this the Deadpool movie?" And eventually, <laughs> the movie cut. Like the lights came back on, and someone came out, like apologized. We all got free movie tickets, and then they started Deadpool, and we watched yeah. Deadpool, and then we got a free movie ticket. So that was the only comparison I have to this experience of Angela Anaconda, a Canadian cartoon before a Digimon movie, which I didn't realize was also starting off the movie in other markets. Now, maybe Angela Anaconda was in America on certain channels. Sure. It was popular in Canada for a short while. Parents hated it because the voice acting was irritating. My name is Angela. Hey, hello. Welcome to my very own show. It's so weird. I'll introduce my friends to you. (laughs) Oh, no. It's Minnie Poo. (laughs) Oh, man. So nostalgic for that show. But yes, Digimon. Let's go back. (laughs) Back on track. Sure. (laughs) I had had Digimon cards. Someone gave me a pack of cards or or I don't think my – I didn't ask my parents for them, but someone had given them to me. And so I had this pack of cards. Still have it. Um, And I remember – trying to learn the game with people but i never really got into the card game at all or collecting the cards it just there's Yu-Gi-Oh and pokemon were just the only things that really grabbed my attention i i like the anime i i i think that was on like the late ytv detour or whatever that thing was teletoon detour and so i it was was ytv yeah so i i remember watching that and i really liked it i really liked the theme song Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of and then the seeing the movie obviously. But those are really the only memories I have of Digimon. I know a lot of people you know kept with Digimon and and consider it superior to the Pokemon anime, which I I could see. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for me, unfortunately, just uh, there's really just the TV show and the movie. Yeah, I'm the same way. For me, it felt like a 
a movie and a show franchise that was fine to keep it there. I didn't need the cards. And no. being an N64 kid, we didn't get any of the video games because it was pr- primarily a Sony uh, franchise. It was mm-hmm. all the games were made by Bandai. And I don't think there are many, if any, Bandai games on N64. So we didn't get any of the Digimon games, but the movies are, at least from the early days, were phenomenal. I, I did yeah. like the show and the movies. Like you said, the soundtrack for the Digimon movie is iconic at this point with anybody our age. They know Less Than Jake and Bare Naked Ladies because of that movie. Yeah, basically. that's right. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is yeah. fantastic. It's a great I soundtrack. I forgot to mention that. If you have a chance to check out the Digimon movie soundtrack, definitely uh, seek it out. Um, and Digimon, obviously, it sounds a ton like Pokemon, just based on the name. Parents Digimon. watching. Digimon. Digital, Digital monsters, monsters Digimon. <laughs> it was, Sounds from good. an outsider's perspective, definitely a Pokemon clone. I can see that. Uh, but it was also heavily inspired by the 1996 phenomenon toy Tamagotchi, which yes, is where... Yes, that, that was the first kind of you right. know, uh, foot in the door, I guess, for them. Yes, yes. Digimon was basically trying to be... Tamagotchis weren't marketed towards girls, but they did sell more towards girls. And Digimon were trying to be sort of the boy version. The edgier. Yes, <laughs> style, yes. I These guess. are monsters in the digital world and they're cool. And they, they kind of combine Pokemon with the Matrix with Tamagotchis. Yeah. And this that's is actually what, a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we got. And the Digimon toys, the, the Tamagotchis, basically, that those were fun. I remember those being, I think those were banned from school too, actually. But uh, everybody, <laughs> yeah. a bunch of the guys had those at school and you would basically have this very basic monster on screen, like a Game Boy game, but the screen was tiny, about the size of a postage stamp, and you had this little creature on screen that you had to keep alive, and eventually it would evolve, or in the case of Digimon, it would digivolve into bigger monsters, and you could uh, battle people uh, by holding your device close to theirs, and it had sort Mm -hmm. of this, I guess, AR sensor in it that you would have to shake your digivice to attack and fight, sort of like how you fight nowadays in Pokemon Go, Yep. by tapping the screen or, or whatever it is. And that was the experience. And the game did evolve or digivolve into a much bigger, into other... <laughs> I love saying digivolve. It's, a, it's, it's a, the most fun word to say. It is. It's a very fun word. But it did evolve into a ton of uh, video games and movies and seasons of, of the show. And it's still around today. It's been on 18 consoles from start to finish, from the, P- the PS1, DS. It's on Switch. It was even on the Wonderswan. Excuse me? It was they had Wonder Swan <laughs> Digimon games. <laughs> okay. And the Sega Saturn. So it's dipped its toes into a ton of different consoles, more than Pokemon has, actually. Uh not to say that it's anywhere near as successful, but um the first game was in nineteen ninety nine on PS1, so it came to uh North American markets right around the same time as Pokemon. And there's over fifty Digimon games to date, which is wild. I didn't know that there were that many since even no. more so than Pokemon, I dipped out of the Digimon world, no pun intended, not long after I got into it. So I had mm. no idea that it was going on as long as it has. Uh, but here we are in uh, 2021, and there are still Digimon games that do come out on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 still... Digimon is still very much in uh, the minds of, of, I guess, people our age who, who mm. played it and watched the animes and everything when they were kids. A uh, friend of the show, Brian, he, he's, he's a big Digimon guy. He likes collecting the... Uh, the statues and like the, the the models for them. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's yeah, like it's I I I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing <laughs> else to say. Yeah, just I I'm I'm glad that Digimon has kept going, has kept a, a good fan base. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Pokemon in the sense of Pokemon Go, right? Where 
mm-hmm. you'll hear people be like, oh, but like Pokemon Go, like, like people don't play that anymore, do they? It's like, well, actually, more people play it now than they did at, you know, in 2016. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, you just, it's just the passionate fans for it rather yeah. than just tro- droves of people who will only be there for a week, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how Digimon is now, right? There's still, it's got a, quite a large fan base still, very passionate about the games and the, uh, and the, and the, and the, the TV series uh, mm-hmm. and the, the characters themselves, but and they'll always be there, so just like the Pokemon Go fans. Yeah, exactly. Nothing ever completely goes out of style. Uh, you know, big except major... Crazy Bones. Except Crazy Bones. There's no Crazy Bone community, unfortunately, <laughs> much to my dismay. Is but... there are Crazy Bones? Let's. I want to go on Reddit and find. Yeah, go for it. I'm sure. That... Well, Mike. Well, Mike looks up Crazy Bones. Uh, Digimon Rumble Arena Two was released on September 6, two thousand and four. Uh, this was developed and published by Bandai. This was before Bandai Namco was a thing. Uh, it's also on PS2 and Xbox. If you wanted to pick it up today, it is $100, and it rates about a 7 out of 10. And Digimon Rumble Arena 2 is obviously a sequel to Digimon Rumble Arena 1, which was a PlayStation 1 game. And the best way I can describe this game is that it is a clone, or a ripoff, if you will, of Super Smash Bros. Melee. Yep, it, it looks almost identical, actually, in a yes. lot of aspects. It, it feels very much like the same game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to let all the listeners know that there is a Crazy Bones Reddit. So yes. there's 517 members. Ooh. You can beat the 518th, Neil. I'm going to wait until they're at 600. <laughs> that's when I'll, I'll, I'll buy low. Okay, well, maybe later we'll start the Crazy Bone Was Cool podcast. But until then... Uh, <laughs> until then, yeah, the Rumble Arena. It, it's... Rumble Arena 2, uh, I guess Rumble Arena 1 was not for uh, Nintendo platforms, like you said before. Just PS1. Uh, just PS1. So, uh, yeah, watching gameplay of it, it, it definitely looks like a Melee clone. It's very simple, though. It's like there's mm-hmm. only single player and multiplayer. Those are literally the only two options. And so there's no story mode. There's no adventure or anything like that, well, which I, I actually like. Really there wasn't really in Melee. I mean, there was. No, like, no. But there was more like there was, you know, the special events and stuff that mm-hmm. you could do, like the target practice or the home run contest. It's a much more stripped down version of Super Smash Bros. Melee. And it's yeah. actually also a slowed down version of Super Smash Bros. Melee. Like if you watch yeah. gameplay of, of this game, it feels like you're watching Smash Bros. slowed down. But what's interesting about uh, Rumble Arena 2 is that you can actually speed up the gameplay which is interesting. Oh. And if you speed it up to maximum speed, it looks like melee. <laughs> That's actually something that that would be really cool to have in a Smash game is, yeah. is the speed of the of, of the characters, speed of the mm-hmm. game. Yep. And if you're living under a rock, what we mean by a Smash Bros. melee clone, it's a 2D fighter where there's platforming, uh, special attacks. You get to pick from one of, I think there's over 20 to 40 characters in the game, and you're playing as Digimon monsters from the digital world, and you just fight each other off the screen. And uh, it's a basically a party game, uh, a very casual fighter game that you can play with friends if you're into the Digimon universe. And the game even had a sequel, Digimon Digimon Rumble Arena 3, which oh, I think was on the later generation of consoles. So it might have been a 360-only game. It was not on GameCube. So, And it, that, that game actually looked kind of weird. I was watching gameplay of Rumble Arena 3, I think by accident, and... Basically, every time you get close to another character, instead of hitting them like you do in Smash Bros, it triggered a cutscene. So basically, every single attack was a final smash. Yeah, which is like it's like very anime esque, you know. That's what it felt like. It reminded me a little bit more of like a two D, uh, the Pokemon fighting game Pokken. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. It does remind me of Pac in a lot, actually. Very but with, with melee kind of elements, I guess. Yes. Very bright, very colorful, and yeah. up close animations of you know the characters in Digimon do look cool. I, we have to say that. that yeah, they, of course. They're very neat. They're all very you know dinosaur-y and, and comic booky. Like they look like something out of a Todd McFarlane comic book. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that I did love about Digimon was the, the bigger monsters always looked really neat, and in some ways were better than Pokemon. Some of the designs of Digimon mm-hmm. were. Like, early Digimon looks better than current Pokemon now, to me, at least. I agree. I agree. It's just my um, opinion on that. Fun fact, too. Stephen Blum, uh, he voiced uh, Gallantmon, Reapermon, Black War Greymon, uh, a ton of other mons uh, in in Rumble Arena 1 and 2. And uh, my fun fact is that Stephen Blum has a Guinness World Record for having the most video game voice acting credits. Oh, wow. I've never actually heard of him before. Who... Neither have I, but clearly he's... <laughs> We've heard he's him. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he's <laughs> in uh, Star Wars Rebels. Uh, he's in Cowboy Bebop. Uh, he's in Naruto. He okay. plays Wolverine in a lot of Marvel stuff. Oh, wow. Um, he's in Bulletstorm, Call of Duty, Diablo 3. He plays Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Injustice. Wow. Uh, he's, yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, he's cool. also the announcer of 7-Eleven's Oh Thank Heaven television and video advertisements. So mm. he's doing okay. Know. He's doing okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> Glad to hear Steve Blum has a career. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's pretty much all I have to say about Rumble Arena 2. Mike, do you have anything else you want to say before we move on to our, our next game? Uh, no, I think, I think it's just uh, time to read the back of the case for this one. Sounds good to me. Double the Rumble. Ha, I get it. More than 45 playable Digimon forms, as seen on TV. Single player and multiplayer action for up to four players. Ten different gameplay variations to unlock. From rubber trees and twisted toy towns to lava lakes and icy palaces, it's double the Digimon fun. From knockout battles to king of the hill, there's something for everyone. Are you ready to kick some Digibutt? <laughs> Digibutt. No Digibutt. No, An- no Angela Anaconda in this game, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Angela Anaconda should have a primary focus uh, of this game. She should at least be a, uh, a playable character. At least. Uh, or or Nanette, Nanette Manoir should be a uh, That'd be such an interesting character. throwback if one day, like in 2021, 22, <laughs> there's an Angela Anaconda reference in a Digimon game just to see. Hardcore Digimon fans would get it. <laughs> Hardcore Digimon fans would get it and also be angry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent. They're definitely a fan base you do not want to make angry, much like the Crazy Bone fan base. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I think we have one more game, Neil, and it is a Digimon game. But first, we have uh, a friend of the show to come on and talk about this. Cool. All right. Who's joining us today, Mike? It's going to be Ramon. So Ramon is joining us all the way from Mississauga, Ontario. And uh, before uh, uh, we introduce you to the show, and you can come on and talk about Digimon World Four, we. We're going to ask you what your favorite Digimon is, but Neil, I think we should ask him who his favorite Angela Anaconda character is. That's the bigger question today, for sure, is Angela Anaconda. There are too many Digimon out there. No one knows their names. It's Agumon and and, uh, and Agumon. Uh, there's way more Angela Anaconda, more interesting Angela Anaconda characters. So let's let's hear Ramon's favorite. Uh, Ramon, who's your favorite character? Well, it's got to be Johnny Abadi, of course, right? He's He had the worst voice actor. That's all I remember. <laughs> They were all annoying. <laughs> he had blue hair and his name was Johnny Abadi. You can't get away from that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I don't doubt it. So <laughs> so obviously we are here to talk about Digimon and obviously a little bit of Angela Anaconda. But uh, Ramon, what's your history with Digimon? 
Oh, it's um. Is it long and storied? It's one of. <laughs> it's a long story because you know what? It's one of the actual like. So I'm a '90s kid, like uh, many of us, and it's one of the pieces of like childhood media that actually stuck with me in, into my twenties, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Wow. Okay. And do you guys know much about Digimon? Like, what's your... I'd say I'd say both of us were, you know, like everyone, we got the... We watched the anime, we watched the, the movies, we got a few of the cards, uh, but Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! really reigned supreme throughout our childhoods more than Digimon. Yeah, it was always like... It was always like a distant fourth, probably, for me, behind Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Beyblade... Crazy Bones. Crazy Bones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of, like, the... And like Dragon Ball Z, but in terms of like the whole buy a toy, buy a pack of cards, it was definitely probably a fourth for me. I, I watched the movies, of course, like the first one, I guess the first movie, mm-hmm. and fell off it after that. I had no idea up until only a few years ago that Digimon had kept going. I honestly thought it ended with the PlayStation 1 GameCube era with uh, with Digimon World 4 and the Rumble Arenas. I, I didn't know really that that we have like over 40 games now in Digimon and new ones. I think there's a new one coming out this year. So most people, most people these days, you know, you hear them talking about how they never stop playing Pokemon, which isn't that rare really anymore. I've never met anybody who has not stopped playing Digimon. So it's an honor to have you on the show today. (laughs) I'm going to be controversial. I love Digimon more than Pokemon. Hey, you know what? That's that's okay. That's okay. But but why? But why, Ramon? Give, give the oh, I, give the the fans something to to argue about here. I am glad you asked. So I I, sh- I guess I should make this very specific. The anime is definitely superior than Pokemon. Agreed. And mm-hmm. the reason why is because the Digimon anime and even the movies to a degree is it's really good sci-fi because the story itself is actually about childhood and about kids, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. other media's like Pokemon or Digi- or sorry or Yu Gi Oh is a quote-unquote kid show it's not about childhood it's not about um it's about obviously selling toys and stuff but it's it's Mm -hmm. there's no there's no realism in there in terms of the stories or anything like that a lot of those stories feel like just old men grooming you you know we got pegasus (laughs) we got (laughs) professor oak uh with these who just seem to be playing around with these children uh i'm not sure if i want to read into that at all but uh but but you're you're right digimon feels like a, a more adult cartoon almost without you know like without alienating kids i guess because as a as a kid i enjoyed the uh the cartoon as an and as an adult watching it with um you know friend of the show jake obviously jake obviously loves <laughs> digimon ramon but <laughs> watching it with him i was like oh wow like this holds up and it's still very watchable whereas if you go back and watch Yu-Gi-Oh, uh and some of those first episodes it's rough yeah, was Digimon based on uh, was Digimon based on a manga or I know it was based on the toys first and then came the cartoon. But was there a manga before the Digimon cartoon? It felt like that they already had a pretty decent plot and world and characters built up even from the get go. Uh, Ramon, do you know anything about like a Digimon manga out there? Um, there definitely is a manga, but I just want to make sure that I, I this is the hell I'm dying on on how why Digimon's so much better. <laughs> so everyone, see, see, I didn't realize how much of a geek I was for Digimon until I like started re- uh, revisiting this. Mm-hmm. But Digimon is not a copy of Pokemon. No, Digimon is a clone of Tamagotchi. Yes, that's the origins of it. Yes, right? that's right. And we talked about that a little bit earlier in the uh, in the show with the toys were basically. Uh, trying to be a male version for for because uh, Tam- Tamagotchi was much more geared towards uh, females, I guess, at the time. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So Digimon was trying to be this edgy, cool version of a Tamagotchi. So you're absolutely right. It definitely was attempted to be a clone of that rather than Pokemon. But you can't deny that they're similar. 
Yeah, uh, and so many. There's so many like uh, of these card games and these and these toys that in the early '90s, late uh, or late '90s, early 2000s, that they were all kind of like copying each other because this was a a booming market. You know, you'd never seen anything like this before. Right. Yeah, I will pay dues to Pokemon for you know changing that industry, but for sure, um, I always find it to be separate. Oh yeah, but so so you did say that you obviously have continued with Digimon since you know we basically left off. How is that? Uh, where is that journey taking you? <laughs> funny you should ask. So I um, funny I didn't really have any um, Digimon games except for you know the little Digivices that you get at Walmart mm-hmm, that right. I had at one point. Of course, um, because I grew up on Nintendo, obviously. So um, all of their games were for playstation because of bandai mm-hmm. until we get to digimon world 4 mm-hmm. i think that was my first actual digimon game and let's get let's okay. get into it then neil good introduction let's talk about digimon world 4 which was released on june 1st 2005 it's developed by bec uh published by bandai uh, it's also on PS2 and Xbox. If you wanted to pick up the GameCube version today, it would put you back about $75. This game doesn't rate super well. It gets about a 5 out of 10 with most reviewers. Um, it's a hack-and-slash-style game with uh, elements kind of comparative to Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, yes. but just with narrative, which is not quite as strong. Um, I watched some gameplay of this game just to prepare for the show, and it does look fairly basic. The enemies look very repetitive. I honestly don't know in terms of story if it's good compared to other Digimon <laughs> games since I have nothing to really compare it to. Um, but Ramon, you uh, you played this game back in the day or did you pick it up later? Uh, so I definitely picked this up uh, back in the day. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that $70 because I'm pretty sure I paid, for, paid $60 for this game. Um, because it was one of those games that you never really saw at the Walmart. It no. was like at a random store that I, I went to. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen it at a at a at a store before. Well, I'm sure that it had a low print run, just because I don't know if this is true, but I, I have a theory that Digimon probably didn't get as many copies printed on Nintendo hardware, just because even though it wasn't a clone of Pokemon, it definitely was a competitor to Pokemon. Not that you know kids weren't playing Pokemon already, but I'm sure that. Nintendo didn't want a, a a flood of Digimon games on their console when they didn't really have that many Pokemon games. Well, and you mentioned uh, before, Ramon, the the fact that you hadn't been able to play Digimon games really until this. There there weren't that many Digimon games on any Nintendo consoles. Exactly, it was only it was mostly on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. That, that's where the first three um, Digimon worlds I think were exclusive on. Yeah, Digimon games on Nintendo hardware, it's mostly on, there's just the few here on GameCube. I think there might be a couple on Wii, but I, there's more on like DS and the handhelds, Game Boy Advance, I think as well, but there's none on N64. N64 didn't really get a lot of the anime games, like there's no Dragon Ball Z or Digimon or there's the Pokemon games, but uh, this is really where, this is the first uh, time we saw Digimon on Nintendo hardware. And it was not released in the PAL region at all. So if you lived in Europe or Australia, you didn't get the Digimon World 4. You uh, you only got it if you lived in North America or Japan. Yep, yep. So yeah, Ramon, uh, let's let's go. Let's get into it. Uh, talk to us about some of your memories of this uh, game. Okay, so uh, I paid sixty dollars for this game, <laughs> and I think that was the first realization as a kid where you realize that sometimes things that are expensive are worse because this is an awful game <laughs> <laughs> this was your this was your first experience with buyer's remorse yeah yeah there we go there we go <laughs> thank you so <laughs> so bad 
I think what happened was I saw it. I'm like, you'd never see a Digimon game for Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And they had swords? Yeah. What? Yeah. It was it was giving me very uh, Shadow the Hedgehog with the gun. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Now, how soon so. after how soon after starting the game did you realize you had made a made an error? I I don't think I ever realized. I don't think I ever had a lot of games that was um very grindy. This was a very hard uh, kind of Japanese uh, RPG um, okay. kind of dungeon crawler, mm. and it was so repetitive, and the hit boxes were awful, and you have to block a lot. So, the the kind of the really bad plot, or I guess the lack of a plot, and also just the play mechanics, um, was just not appealing to me as a kid whatsoever. So it was gotcha. pretty early on, I'd say. Gotcha. And now, did you ever get to play this game multiplayer? Because it does support four-player co-op, where, oh. like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles... Now, Mike, you don't need the Game Boy Advance player, though. <laughs> this God. is where they went wrong. I think if it had the Game Boy Advance player, it might have been better. Uh, no, you could you could play this game with GameCube controllers. Who the hell knew? Uh, and you could play as Ramon. You're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation here. It's been a minute. Agumon, Dorumon, Vimon, and Guimon. 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 Thank you. I forgot that one. Uh, so, and I've heard that if you play it with four players at a time, it, it actually makes the game a little bit more bearable. <laughs> well, I didn't have friends that back then who would want to play Digimon with me. <laughs> mm. But I'm glad that you mentioned that because there, from what I remember, it was a difficult game. It was very, very hard. Now, was it hard because it's a hard game, or was it hard because it was difficult to control and it was just a pain in the ass? Like, it's there's a good balance between, like, a hard game, which, like, you know, you have Mega Man and Cuphead or something, you know, like, just a game that's actually hard, or was it just frustrating because the controls sucked? No, it was it was frustrating because of the mechanics, the controls, and the enemies, the AI, they would just swarm you, yeah. and you would r- really die very quickly. And I'm, I'm watching, you know, I... I have been watching gameplay this week and I was, I'm watching some right now and it, it grind is the perfect word to describe this game. Oh my God. And it's just the repetitive nature of it is just so it's so much. And I, um, I'm looking at some of these playthroughs there. I couldn't find any that were below nine hours and that's a telltale sign that something's wrong <laughs> because usually you can find these like super speed runs of these games, but they're all, all of them are just these really long slags of like just uh, it's that mm. doesn't look like a fun game it does not look like what to have fun playing it right? no not at all but you know what they what you know how they kind of get you to repeat replay it for hours and hours mm-hmm. how <laughs> is the whole uh, evolution process right. um, did you evolve exactly so you would think that you, if you've ever are a fan of the series that it's like you know, you start from this stage to the next stage, mm-hmm. and, it's, and you gradually get up to like four or six stages. But no, they removed the middle chunk, and you just start from the basic level to the end, <sighs> and you have to grind so so much just to evolve. And so this is common in um, a lot of Digimon games, but this one's just harder. But what happens when you actually uh, uh, digivolve? You actually start off at level one again with that new character. Oh, what? Whoa! So, so you, uh, so you are essentially are weaker <laughs> <laughs> again to get like a new kind of um, character. Uh, wow! Yeah, that does not sound fun. I feel like that's really all you have to do to nail a Digimon game is to make the digi 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 evolutions fun and exciting and make you feel powerful when you finally progress from Agumon to Greymon or whoever it is. Now. I just want to kind of divert a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. other Digimon games. Ramon, you, you said you've played a few others. Uh, if, if you could recommend a Digimon game to a fan of 
Digimon or video games in general, are there any on later consoles that maybe stand out to you? Yeah, so the, actually the only other um, Digimon video game I have is um, Cyber Sleuth, which I have for PC, but I think it's on other consoles. I think it's on the Wii, or sorry, the Switch as well, actually. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, Digimon Cyber Sleuth, I think, is the golden child of yeah. Digimon games. Yeah, I've, I've, gotcha. I've always heard good things about Cyber Sleuth, and um, okay. I, I, I wish I knew more about it, but... Uh, uh, I when I first saw that we were going to be doing Digimon games, I was like, "Oh, Cyber Sleuth? No, I'm just watching Agumon with his with his damn sword, <laughs> just just slashing." And then so he falls asleep to a lot of enemies. It looks like, and then you just wait. Like I guess you can't be like that close to some of these frogs who put you to sleep. Um, but yeah, it uh, just I can just imagine pressing a a a a killed move a. <laughs> and just yeah. over and over and over again the one of the worst things i remember from this game is the poor jumping mechanics there wasn't a lot of platforming but once there was one you would fall every single time <laughs> it, you could never get it it feels like this game could have actually had some good platform mechanics to make it fun mm-hmm. i think that that's what they tried to do is that the characters had a jump button and since you really didn't need it for combat they figured we have to do something to uh, validate having a jump button, I guess. So they did put in these very basic primary platforming elements of levels. And the issue with it was that the camera is not f- is not controllable. Like you can't control the camera. I think it's completely fixed, right? So even if you wanted to, if you if you can't see where you're jumping, you're just going to jump into a pit or something. So it just makes it a nightmare to control. You don't have control over the camera, which is never good in a no. 3D <laughs> platformer or even a hack and slash crystal chronicles like digimon game apparently yeah yeah i have no good things to say about this (laughs) no that's good that's good this is this is i'm I'm glad that we can all rag on it together (laughs) and we actually have because there's so many games that we've ragged on before but to have someone on who's actually played it you know uh is uh is very helpful it gives us you know validation to rag on it Definitely. No, it's trash. Yes, it's trash. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you could at least recommend Digimon Cyber Sleuth to the fans out there. So if the, if anybody out there has a current gen console, a PC, go pick up Digimon Cyber Sleuth. That's right. And uh, Neil, I think it's time to read the back of the case for this uh, travesty. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, that's brutal. But okay, sounds good. It's up to you to save the digital world. Customizable Digimon. Collect weapons, armor, and items to customize your Digimon skills and attributes. Digivolve your Digimon. Single and multiplayer action for up to four players at a time. Play as 16 different Digimon. Collect trading cards. Hmm. <laughs> it just ends with collect trading cards. <laughs> yeah, then there's like a giant picture of a Digimon on the back. It's like, I guess it looks cool. Digimon, digital, digital monsters. monsters. Do you guys they- have a favorite Digimon? I mean, I like I like Greymon. I'm not gonna lie. I yeah. like the uh, the I don't know. Just I love dinosaurs. So like the huge T Rex looking thing. Like at this time, I was really into Beast Wars, and like I loved Optimus Prime in uh, that show where he's a T Rex. I also really have to give a shout out to Batterymon, who's just <laughs> just a battery with legs. <laughs> in this world where there's dinosaurs, things with claws, teeth, swords, lasers, just to have this battery. I don't know. I think it's hilarious. I love useless things in like Pokemon when it's like, oh, there's a vanilla ice cream cone here. I, I love when they just someone designed this battery to be a Digimon. And I, I think that that's hilarious. But my serious answer is Greymon. See, I, I would probably say someone like Omnimon or uh, what is this? The Omnimon X or whatever that guy. He's like a he's like the Exodia of the world. Basically, he's super powerful. Okay. Um, but um, I think 
a, a better pick would be uh, Manette, uh, Nanette Menoir uh, as my <laughs> as, as my favorite Digimon. I think. Yeah. What's the, What's the name of the cactus? I'm so glad you brought that up, Neo, because Togemon is Thank you. my favorite. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like Togemon. That was a good one. The giant cactus was cool. Yes. The giant cactus with boxing gloves was yeah. hilarious. I gotta say, the Digimon designs are are very unique and yes. well done. I always enjoyed the Digimon designs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, but yes, the designs are very good. Better than, I mean, it's it's not better than Pokemon. It's it not a competition different. in that sense. No, yeah, it's yeah. Diff- they're, they're very different. It's like you're combining Pokemon with Voltron with everything else from the giant robot, mon- big monster era that, yep. you know captures yep. kids imaginations so can i tell you guys my favorite digimon fan theory oh, yes yes please this is what this podcast is all about oh this is a theory but i'm gonna make it official on this podcast <laughs> yes. this is the truth um so you know how the naming convention is battery mon and togemon and etc sure? the mon part is supposed to be just a file extension Oh, <laughs> <laughs> i like that you know what i like they're in the digital world i like that makes sense yeah that's it's it's it dot got, one i tell you it's so smart you guys if you the little details mm. <laughs> we're putting that as a did you know did you know i always thought it was just monster but i mean you could be right with the file extension that definitely yeah it's dot monster yeah yeah it's dot monster. i suppose that makes sense <laughs> cool i love it that's officially canon now mm. sweet <laughs> well uh, I guess to move on then to kind of our final segment here, and we might as well inc- include Ramon in this one. Um, Ramon, where do you think Digimon games go from here? Well, I think it, it it's going to stay with like um, kind of the RPG kind of realm for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a huge fandom, like obviously bigger in Japan. Yeah. Um, they are doing a lot of, um, they're really, really hitting the nostalgia factor and like they have a lot of projects and stuff. So um, I think they're trying to, reposition themselves um actually i think they've just released a, a new updated version of their tamagotchi toy oh. um so they're trying to integrate that somehow but i think it really is just going to stay in this kind of niche market yep. of people who love rpgs and the franchise do you think do you do you ever envision something like a digimon go you know in in, in that kind of way ever coming out Oh, that's what I was talking about. They actually have that already. Oh, oh, um, oh! That's that's the Tamagotchi. That's the 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 that the toy. It's yes, it's not as good, obviously, but what it is, it's actually just like a Fitbit ripoff, oh. and you just like have it on your wrist, and it's like it's Tamagotchi plus Pokemon Go. Okay. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It seems like that's what all of our childhood memories are being subject to in 2020 is just the, they're being, they're being turned into a Pokemon Go clone at this point. Yeah. Uh, hey, if that, if that's what makes money, I suppose. I mean, Bandai Namco has money to make a AAA Digimon game. Like they could make a, th- a 3D, maybe not open world, but I would be perfectly down for a 12 hour linear experience with Digimon characters that look cool, you know, dinosaurs and robots in this Matrix style world where, you know the, the the digital world from Digimon. I would be totally down to see some of these characters in HD, 3D. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a game to compare it to, like Titanfall, almost. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, not you know, made by Bandai. Uh, I think that that would do really well, or at least pretty well. I mean, I know that, like you said, Ramon, it's a niche franchise because they've they they're making niche games out of it. Like they're not they're not making games in the dig with the Digimon skin that mass consumers want. Like they're not going to make a Digimon shooter. But I think I think a 3D open world, not a platformer, but like an action like, adventure. I'm thinking game. like a, a Monster Hunter almost kind of style. Yeah, that's that's what I think Digimon could go towards. Yeah, like a Monster Hunter mixed with Uncharted, like something 
like a good balance between those two things where it's fantasy, it's sci-fi, and it's also a little bit tied to reality as well, which Digimon did so well in in the early 2000s. Well, thank you, Ramon, so much for coming on today to talk about some Digivolving. That was awesome. Uh, And we hope to see you back very soon. I know. Thanks for having me, you guys. All right. Take care, buddy. Have a good night. You too. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Ramon, for coming on and sharing your insight into Digimon and Digimon World 4. And I'm I'm really glad. I wasn't sure what Ramon's take on Digimon World 4 was because I knew he owned it. And I'm really glad he came in hot with, uh, with his take that it is not a good game. I would have been surprised if he had come in enjoying that game. To find somebody who is, one, a Digimon fan for 20-plus years now is rare enough. To also find somebody who stands behind Digimon World 4, that would have been... He would be the only one who's, you know, been in the franchise, in the trenches, as they say, uh, since 1999 and still and can stand behind every game. I I don't see that happening. No. But uh, it it is nice to talk about Digimon. I got to say, I really wish that I enjoyed that franchise today more. But I just think that the games, the the game genres that they make them in just don't speak to me anymore. I think think it's also the fact that I kind of lost. I don't have that the same nostalgia I do for it. And I wish I did. I wish I got into Digimon a little more. Because it does seem like the probably one of the best um, best franchises that, that, that has kept up, you know what I mean? Like, it, it still holds up today more than I would say a lot of Pokemon and, and Yu-Gi-Oh things. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh does not hold up. Like, if you, if you were a <laughs> no. fan of Yu-Gi-Oh and you try and go back to it now, you're not going to stand a chance in hell. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon, maybe. I mean... In some know, ways. In some ways it in, does, some ways it doesn't. Exactly. And then, like... Of all the, the the games I can think of, it's Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, Beyblade, but Beyblade still exists too. I mean, that's just spinning that's, tops. You can <laughs> yeah. you can probably get back into that pretty quick if you had to try. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, Mike. I wanted to ask you though. We talked about Digimon. What do you want from Pokemon now? Now we've talked about Pokemon experiences here, so I don't want to get too far into the mainline Pokemon games. We'll I save talk that about... for um, XD. Yeah, I want to talk about the spinoffs now. So the Pokemon spinoffs, what what do you want to see from Nintendo and Game Freak and the Pokemon company going forward? I'd like to see a very cohesive vision for that franchise and and um, everything neatly packaged instead of having these weird storage uh, solutions that they still have today, uh, you know, 15 years or more on. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I don't think is going to happen, unfortunately, because of the weird structure of the ownership of Pokemon, which is a mm-hmm. episode in itself. <laughs> but yes. I, I, I really just want cohesiveness, which we never seem to get in Pokemon uh, anymore. We seem to get like one game that you should buy and then a spinoff and then another spinoff and then a mobile game. And then just, just tell me, just <laughs> give me something very, you know, uh, like, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I think I know. you know what I'm trying to say, Neil. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Yeah, you, you want something that just, like, they have a roadmap. It feels like that they have a plan for it. Almost like when you see that Marvel shotgun blast of movies and, and TV shows that are going to come out in the next nine years. Something I, like that I with think Pokemon. of it like Zelda, right? So mm-hmm. Zelda has Breath of the Wild. It's got the new Breath of the Wild 2 or whatever that's going to be coming out. Uh, but it also has these very well-done side, uh, like side mission games almost. So yeah. the Hyrule Warriors games. Mm-hmm. One of those actually actually has a narrative and plot, you know, that's tied to Breath of the Wild. Uh, clearly, all these uh, Zelda games have been very focused and very well thought out for a plan, which is something Pokemon has really seemed to be missing. Uh, and I think a, a big factor in that, too, is the fact that you don't have all the Pokemon in one game. That just 
again speaks to the non-cohesiveness of uh, of the structure of the company i think mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of gets a little more into the mainline pokemon it does games i know where, yeah where, yeah where they did they did have that I felt, that's why i think they lost me after silver and gold was because they they definitely had a plan where af- at the end of silver or gold you go back to Kanto region and you fight against red, which was one of the coolest yeah. spoiler alert was one of the coolest <laughs> yeah, video game surprises. Years of, old. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's still, that was one of the craziest moments of all time when, when that opened up. And I feel like we haven't had something like that in a Pokemon mainline game for such a long time. But with, with the sideline games, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, like they're, they're definitely putting out tons of content. I mean, there's over 120 Pokemon games around the world. So, they're they're doing good, and obviously they don't need our help. The games are making billions of dollars every sure, year. Sure, yeah. Um, but I, I know what you're saying. It, it would be better if 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 it felt like that they had some sort of more of a roadmap. Like we've waited 23 years for Pokemon Snap 2, which exactly right. And then where did that come from? It was it was a very didn't seem like it was marketed much at all at first. You know, it just kind of came out of the blue. I think it was announced what two three months before uh, yep. the game came out. It, it, it's it's very like that's like. That's a very Nintendo move for sure, yeah. But it feels like Pokemon sh- could kind of rise above that and you know create their mm-hmm. own roadmap and and should be. But I don't know. It's yeah. it's it's a complicated issue for sure. And like you said, they're they are they don't need our help. They're doing well enough. Yeah, the name sells itself, and I, I think that that's that's fair. I mean, like if if they they have that clout by now, so we can't fight with that. I just feel like it almost feels like that they're not earning the sales anymore. It's it's just it's selling because it's Pokemon, not because it's this project you can tell that they've been working on for years and it's it's exactly. gonna change your video game experience but mike from these four games that we've talked about today do you recommend the listeners out there pick up any of them digimon cyber sleuth i would say <laughs> like, okay honestly probably fair uh, enough. that's the, i know we didn't uh, actually talk about it but uh i would not pick up these four games they are all very expensive uh mm-hmm. and they are definitely not worth your time unless you're collect like an avid collector uh the the one interesting one to pick up would be pokemon box just because of the fact that you can somehow bring a pokemon to the new generation uh on switch yeah which is really cool but you know don't spend what three hundred dollars to do yeah, that. yeah <laughs> exactly and you need to also buy other games to get it up to the current generation yeah. i think if you have a, a ratata on your pokemon blue you can just leave it there <laughs> and be totally fine without bringing it up to your copy of sun <laughs> Or a sword or whatever. But you're right. These games are pricey for what you're getting. I would definitely say to skip them unless you can find them for a really good deal. They're definitely, some of them are really good, like Pokemon Channel, Pokemon Box. They're they're really good collector's items for GameCube owners out there. So if you can find them at a good deal, you have a couple extra bucks, you know, someone's clearing out their attic, take it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it. It'd be a cool piece of history, and uh, I don't think that the prices are going to go down like what we've talked about at nauseum at this point. Uh, but in terms of fun factor, I don't think any of these games are worth picking up. It sounds like Digimon Cyber Sleuth is the better Digimon game, and we're going to talk about way better Pokemon games later. But until then, Mike, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on the GameCube with School podcast? Well, next week, episode 47, yep. uh, will be all about Dragon Ball Z games, uh, which has been a highly requested topic for a while now. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to to kind of get into that. I'm a big Dragon Ball Z fan uh, in terms of these games. I really didn't play anything before or since, but I love Budokai, uh, and we're going to have a couple of guests on to talk about it. We're also talking about a couple other anime-esque games like Naruto and... 
One Piece, One Piece and Zach Bell or Zatch Bell. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of games that you know. Spoiler, like, uh, spoiler, not spoiler. That's not the right word. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, disclaimer. Oh. Uh, Neil and I are not anime people, uh, especially that anime. Uh, mm-hmm. So we don't know too much about it, but we will try our best. But the episode will definitely be focused the most on DBZ. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z was a huge part of our childhood. I mean, if you couldn't go anywhere without hearing something about Dragon Ball Z, it was just like Pokemon and Digimon. So I know much more about the anime, actually. I did enjoy that show when I was a kid. The games are a little bit more of a blind spot for me, but I know that they're huge and they're still a huge, yeah, huge part of the uh, fighting game community these days. And Dragon Ball Xenoverse, they they still get games coming out to this day. So huge community, great, uh, big part of uh, the gaming industry in general. So it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about uh, Dragon Ball Z and some other anime fighting games. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 46 of the GameCube with School podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. Share us with your friends and your family so we can find a bigger audience. If you want to support the show, you can support us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Follow us on Instagram at The GameCube Pod. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Oh no, it's Mini Poo. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon, not a champion. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.